I would believe that's a perfect run. Um, the four five for the four nine five I ran in April before the Star World Cup. Was there any moment in the middle of that where you kind of thought like, oh, maybe I've just lost it? Every single day, <laughs> every single time training, like every single day I was having like my lifestyle on just absolutely being disciplined about everything in my life. Welcome to the season one finale of the That's Not Real Climbing podcast. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm excited to introduce my guest for today, Sam Watson. Sam is only 17 years old, yet he has already won gold at a World Cup, holds the speed climbing record in the U.S., and recently secured his Paris 2024 Olympic ticket at the Pan Am Games. In this episode, we'll get more into speed climbing at the highest level, his experience at the Pan Am Games, how he juggles personal life, school, and climbing, and we need your help in figuring out how he can up his social media game. Hope you enjoy this episode with Sam. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for joining me, and how are you doing? Doing quite well. How are you? I'm all right. Are you feeling relaxed after... That huge weight of trying to get an Olympic ticket is off your shoulders. Yeah, I, I think it really does like fundamentally change the d- dynamic of how you view and approach the training cycle. Um, whether or whether or not I had gotten it, it would be either I'm training for OQS or I'm training for the Olympics itself. And it's both, you know, pretty heavy weight of an event, but it's definitely like watching the different qualifiers. It's definitely a way different perspective already being qualified. So did you like take a break or are you still taking a break? So I took six days off. Um, I took from the 25th to November 1st um, and it was so wonderful. I enjoyed every single second of it Um, just because I think lifestyle wise, I'm very committed to being the best I can be um, off the wall. So whether that's like sleeping and eating and like managing my own time day to day, that's like very um, like stressful for me to do while in training to maximize my um, productivity, my sessions. So um, whenever I was in a break, I'm just like, I can climb whenever I want. I can hang out with my friends. I can do all of this. I can um, just completely not worry about anything and not have a care in the world, um, which is good in moderation, I think, for um, just about those times. No, I mean, six days isn't even that long, so... I'm glad you got a little bit of a break. Yeah, just basically the travel back and then a couple days was all I needed to be more reinvigorated. Yeah, like no climbing at all, not even any, not even a little bit of climbing. Um, So I went bouldering a couple times, um, really fun, hung out with some friends. And then I did a blindfold speed day, um, which was just really fun. Um, but no pressure of no, no training plan. Um, I could have gone to the gym. I could have not gone to the gym. And that was kind of the mentality towards it. So I think it worked out really well. Blindfolded speed sounds interesting. Um, is that something you do on a regular basis ever? No, it is so difficult. Um, it's 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 absurdly hard to do because like it seems like, oh, it's just muscle memory. It's really not. Like you're, you use your eyes when you speak. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I kind of thought, I think I saw it posted in like a story and I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Like, maybe that's like a good training good way to train but i guess not yeah um it was fun to try um it was a fun day but i would not seriously implement it into a training plan okay makes sense 
All right. So let's get into, I guess, the meat of it. Um, for those who don't know you as well, when did you start climbing and why did you end up choosing speed? So I started climbing when I was five years old, um, actually on my fifth birthday, because that was the requirement um, that you had to be like at least five years old to climb in the local gym that I was going to. So um, I was just really into climbing uh, when I was a kid. And climbing is not very big. I'm from Dallas, Texas. So not a lot of mountains here. Like, it's very like indoor kind of based culture. So started climbing. Um, at five years old, I eventually joined another team um, based out of Colleyville, which is um, sort of in the Fort Worth area. And for it was kind of a more serious thing where we would compete. And then when I was 10 years old, I joined Team Texas, which is a DFW kind of metroplex based whole organization that competes in USA climbing and youth. And um, I ended up really enjoying it in the entire process of having that kind of community around me. Um, I think it, I was very passionate about climbing from kind of day one. Like I just really enjoyed it more than anything else, really. So um, I, I loved Team Texas. So I just invested a lot towards that when I was a kid. And then speed climbing was kind of the natural, um, it was very sort of embraced, I think, through that competitive climbing culture. Um, so it was just one of the other disciplines. Uh, it wasn't obviously as popular as bouldering and lead, but there was other athletes who I could join and do speed um, on a regular basis. And um, I was quite good at it. Um, but I think I was um, 13 years old when I started like speed climbing um, more, almost the only one I was really competitively pursuing at a high level, because I think I had I realized I had more potential um, in that one than the other the other two disciplines. Okay, wow. So five years old, um, it was like you had already known about climbing at five years old, and you like decided you wanted to do it. Um, I think I was definitely just um, like my parents would say, I'm a vertically inclined child. Um, is the term they use where I'd be climbing the walls and I'd be like climbing the different things around and just in the most dangerous way possible. So they were very excited to take me to somewhere where I could kind of express that through a good outlet. Yeah, I feel like I have barely any memories before five years old. So I can't imagine I would have like decided that climbing is something I wanted to do at that age. I think I was three years old. I have a specific memory of, I think one of the first like hard lessons I learned in my life was to tell whether or not something was stable. Like I remember climbing up on this like plastic shed and it just completely caving in on me. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that's not like you got to like at least knock on it to make sure it's not going to fall over on you. So that, that was one of my earliest memories of like learning something as a, as a kid. Wow, what a memory. Yeah, I don't think I have any memories that early. I think my earliest memory is my parent, my like mom was holding me and then she was ripping me away from an ice cream machine. That's my earliest memory. So. The earliest memory of a non-athlete. But yeah, back to speed climbing. Um, you started speed climbing at 13. Do you feel like, this is just something that I just thought of, do you feel like it make it would even make sense to start speed climbing earlier? Because like your body goes through so many changes in that time and speed climbing is so same every time. Like, do you feel like that makes a difference as you grow? I do think um, it would have made a difference if I started speed climbing earlier, but 
So when I say I started speed climbing at 13, I mean on the official route. Um, I think I competed in C and D, which is the U, I think, 12 or maybe U11, U13 categories in USA Climbing. I'm not sure if that's exactly correct. But um, it was a non-standard speed route, so it'd be set new every time. And I wasn't really that good at that one, but I would sort of, I, I enjoy training it. Um, and I think it's good to sort of teach a child um, that's under the age of, I would say, 13 or 14, the fundamentals of moving your body faster in climbing, like in moving all four limbs at once specifically for speed. But I would not necessarily say it's essential rather than just like, um, I think there's a lot of athletes who could start at a later age and be still top of the world. But I think we'll also figure out in like 10 years, if there's some, um, like kid that's been training since he was five years old and just speed climbing and how better that's going to make than someone who started at, um, a later age. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see. Um, do you feel like speed climbing came naturally to you? Yes. I don't think I was ever really the strongest athlete. Um, I am not very athletically inclined. Um, as, as I would say, no Olympian would say like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not an athlete, but like I was never good at sports as a kid. Um, I was pretty good at competitive climbing and bouldering and lead, but not like exceptional. But I think I just really, really enjoyed the process of training speed climbing. And that's what kind of elevated me to a higher level where I could sort of embrace um, the natural talents I had. But I really, I think I really only discovered that I was very talented at speed climbing when I was like 15 years old. Like when I was like sort of, I think running, like I think I had a big, I had a like stretch of time where I dropped from like 7.4 seconds to like 5.8 seconds in the span of six months, just because that was like my primary goal to speed climb. And at the time, that was kind of like unprecedented, like territory for someone to do. Um, so that was kind of the moment where I realized I was really natural at it. But before that, I was really just enjoying the process of getting better at something. And when you first started speed climbing, was there anything about it that surprised you? Um, I, I think when I first started competitive speed climbing, I think in 2021, um, just the, um, the sort of load, like of how much of an endurance sport competing in speed climbing is where you're sitting for, um, or you're running around for 40 minutes in line and doing your runs and waiting and your heart rate is constantly like elevated. Um, so it really does become an endurance effort, um, to a level. And like, I remember my first proper competition in speed, I was exhausted at the end. I was like, wow, that was not anything I've ever experienced in practice. So that was the, that, that was my first big surprise for speed climbing, I would say. You mean running around because of like you want to keep warm or like the venue? Um, so that competition specifically was Youth and Nationals in Reno um, at Mesa Rim. And I do remember the warm up area was not by the speed wall at all. Um, so sort of pacing like between there and the bouldering area and trying to keep my fingers warm and sort of like, and it was just like volunteers are calling you to line up in stage and things like that are, are constantly happening. So um, it's just a very sort of um, a little bit overwhelming event um, to, for, for a first timing thing. And I didn't expect, I expected it to just be, I would race 
do my thing, race, just, you know, keep, stay warm. Like I wouldn't practice. Cause I had, I had, um, d- done a lot of preparation for that, but, um, the real deal was definitely a big shock. Yeah. I'm sure you've gotten more used to taking on surprises, going to different world cups. So we'll get back into like specifics of speed climbing a little bit later on, but right now I want to go into your experience at the Pan American games. Um, cause that just happened recently. And of course that is where you took your Olympic ticket. So congrats on that. Um, but yeah, just walk me through your experience at the Pan Am games and how you're, how you were feeling. So the Pan American games, um, I had sort of planned out the entire year, um, of wanting to like, of deciding 2023 was the year that I wanted to get Olympic qualified. I either wanted to get a spot at the world championship or at my continental. Um, so I think it was announced by the IFSC that it would be, they wouldn't host a separate Pan American qualifier. It would be at the Pan American games. Um, and I think earlier this year to my knowledge. So I really, um, wanted so i put all my effort towards the world championship and had the worst event i have ever had um wasn't necessarily like something i would say was because of nerves or because of anything really like i wouldn't blame the conditions i just happened to have two bad runs um back to back how often does that happen to you i mean i like to think of speed climbing as your the concept of consistency is you want to raise the rate of mistakes not being made on each move so ideally if you're a great competitor you can get to like an 83 percent um it's sort of what it takes to win a four race competition um in order for it you know to sort of be in control of what you're doing and i felt really really good um with my completion rates before burn i was you know not slipping um really at all like i was dropping like three runs out of 20 or something like that um before that and so i felt great but that actual day i think um i was a little thrown off because there wasn't any practice runs um the practice runs were the day before and um it was sort of just like i i was trying to just do my runs um but it, it ended up just being uh i didn't change my mentality at all sort of just like i feel confident for my next one after i slipped on my first run and then it just didn't work out. Um, that kind of um, 17% of not um, having a good run is not, it just wasn't, just happened to roll twice, really. So I was just like, um, anyway, so after that event, I was like, I have about 70 days to train for the Pan American Championships. So I was like, I will partition 45 of them um, to the Wujang World Cup as well where I want to just get way stronger and consistently be sub five. Um, and I did that and it was just, I ended up doing an insanely like brutal training cycle where I was training like every single day I was having like my lifestyle on just absolutely being disciplined about everything in my life. Um, I was not only tracking my calories, but I was tracking the individual amino acids of every single thing I ate to that, make sure I could have my leucine, isoleucine, and valine levels, which are the um, muscle building compounds at constantly a high level. So I could be completely optimal. Um, so that was about 25 days. And I was kind of miserable doing that because it's just so much constant work 
but it really did pay off um, because I was the week before China doing great. Um, the comp itself wasn't amazing, but I acknowledged, I think I was pushing for a world record run and it just didn't happen in the last couple moves. So um, I was, I was, I was at the end of the day content with that. And then I, after that competition b- leading up, I said, I wanted to do just performance. How do I win um, at the time three races? Was it what I thought? Because there were 16 athletes. Um, so I was like, okay, so they won't take all 16 athletes to, um, it'll be a round of eight because it said that, that, that in the info sheet and they ended up actually changing the rule last minute. So, um, I had learned from the Salt Lake World Cup that was men and women on separate days that doing the men only format is kind of brutal because the five minute rest really gets depleted because you're staging and you're warming up and you really don't have that much time. And you're kind of like, you're, you're out of breath a lot of times. Um, so I was, I was planning to do that um, with three races and just saying, I want to have three clean laps and I'll be able to win the comp. And so that was just my entire training of just, I want to have perfect days. Um, and I was doing, I think six out of seven, six out of seven, seven out of eight, seven out of eight, like 10 out of 11 days all the time. And then the only perfect session where I didn't mess up a single run was actually the day or the last session in Santiago on the wall. And then of course the cop itself. So um, yeah, that was kind of the entire preparation as far as like the micro level of um, being at the competition and being immersed in that experience of the village. Um, it was a bit more than I would expect in terms of like kind of a shock of just, wow, it's so much stuff going on, but I really did enjoy it. Um, I did feel kind of at home with, I just had the mentality of I'm here. I want to compete in speed climbing and I want to win races. Um, and that kind of brought me pretty far. Yeah. Was there anything that happened at the games that you weren't expecting or kind of threw you off? Um, so if you watch the stream, actually, you could probably see this. They, it was very cold. It was not very great conditions. So it was, it was like, um, probably 60 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't speak, I don't speak Celsius, unfortunately, (laughs) but, um, it was, it was pretty cold and they actually brought us out. Um, I was racing Isaac, uh, Estevaz from Ecuador and they said, we were like, I'm about to write, I was about to go, right. They're about to like climb on your mark. Right. I'm, I'm sitting here in a Jersey in shorts and it's freezing. Right. And the wind is like blowing too. So like the audible is flapping in the wind and I'm like super cold and they're like one minute delay. So I just stand here like stone faced for a minute. And I'm just like, I got this. Um, I, I didn't expect this to happen, but I'm not going to let it throw me off. And I'm really proud of myself because I had the fastest run I had of the comp um, after that happened. And um, I think so did he, he had one of the faster comp- times of the comp as well. Um, so it was really just, the conditions weren't amazing. Um, I think I had a foot pop on one of my races as well. Um, but just doing what I trained for, um, you still have that little bit of margin of error where you're trying to get, um, a little bit more consistent, but just recovering your runs and doing your best to just win every race, um, was, was the goal. Yeah. I sort of remember seeing that there was a delay and it just felt like ages just it was it was a tense moment it was like so palpable of like everyone in this crowd was like oh my god how are these athletes doing this right now like it was it was an immense amount of pressure for sure yeah well glad you pulled through and i think another thing people 
talk about at the games is like the village experience. Was that anything interesting for you? Um, I really think that the Santiago 2023 people did really, really well, um, especially because some games are kind of like um, like nightmare experiences with like the village not working. Um, I think we had some issues like the first couple of days with like our water. But besides that, our, our village was was a great experience. Um, you have to like sit around or, or like, go around the village and see all the other athletes and um, other, all the other sports. So it was um it was a it was a cool experience. Um, I didn't before the games or before I competed, I didn't try to explore a ton, but I ended up um a, a, a couple of days after like exploring the whole village, and it was a really cool experience. Um. They, they put in a lot of work and a lot of effort. Um, so it was it was just a really good time for all the athletes, I think. Yeah, I figured like, I feel like in that situation, I wouldn't really want to explore before time to compete. Um, so you had like some time after to just relax and hang out there. Yeah, because I think they flew out the entire USA climbing team. So it was women's speed, men's speed, um, men's boulder lead, women's boulder lead. And that was like the entire competition. So we had three more days. Oh, okay. Awesome. And I don't want to like get too much into it because she's not on the podcast to talk about it. But if you had some info on it being on the same team, um, I think a lot of people are just wondering why did Emma Hunt end up competing despite already having an Olympic ticket? Like, wouldn't it be better to focus on training or something else? Yeah. So that one was kind of... um an issue that sort of arised, I think, from the fact that it was the Pan American Games and not um, an individual qualifier event, like I think they did for Asia. Like Asia had their full like Hongzhou Asian Games, um, and but Pan America didn't have that same situation. So um, it, it, it's a pretty big deal to compete at the Pan American Games, um, as far as like all the athletes that, that want to go there. And if you're, even if you're Olympic medalist, it's it's still common for you to want to go to that event. So. I think that became a um, sort of conflict of you want to compete as an athlete um, because it's not just an Olympic qualifier. It's just a competition you want to do good at. And I think also um, it's good practice to be in that village environment um, and to um, be be immersed in that experience before the Olympic Games so it's not as much of a shock. Um, I, 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 I do think um, there's obviously an argument either way of it's really the elephant in the room because the Olympics are so big compared to anything else climbing has really seen. So it's like you sort of want to preserve the purity of the sport um, through uh, not competing in a bracket or messing it up potentially. But um, I think it worked out well. I think Piper is completely deserving of the spot that she ended up getting. So um, I don't really have too much quarrel with it. Yeah. And so thinking ahead to the Olympics, um, do you sort of have a training plan in mind and are you going to be doing like any of the World Cup season? Yeah. So I think um, I I would like to try to win a World Cup series um, at some point. Um, that's still a major goal of mine. I think I will do Wuzhang, Salt Lake City, Chamonix, skip Branchon right before the Olympics and go home and train and do uh, Seoul after the Olympics if I'm inspired to do so. Um, so I, I think the, the uh, World Cup circuit is still a big part of climbing and competing, and I still want to go to events and learn from my mistakes if I do make any, um, which I will, um, about you know how to compete and how do I be the best athlete in Paris. Um, so, so that's like a pretty big deal for, to me to go to those events and figure out what to do. 
Um, but I do have sort of a plan of uh, month by month of doing different training cycles and trying to get stronger and more powerful and a better performer um, as a sort of an alternating cycle. How much um, faster do you think you can go by the Olympic? Is that something that people go about? Um, personally, I think I have some definitely some uh, doors to open as far as I'm pretty young. I'm not that strong. Like I am, um, I definitely could. I have only really been training as far as I'm consistently doing a good like weight regimen for a few months now. And it's been like very, very helpful. Like it's helped a lot on the wall to do that. So um, I think the sky's the limit sort of as far as pushing times down via just raw power output. Um, and just far from being perfect, um, I think the sport is still really young. So I think I'm, I'm not saying anything is impossible at this point because I think it's not a good mentality to be putting yourself in a box of, oh, I think the limit is four or five or whatever. I, I don't. I think it's um, I'm going to continue to work my hardest to push my times down. And I have no clue what the um, limit will be. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll answer one of the little later questions that uh, came from Discord as well. Um, so, yeah, a few questions just about, like, speed climbing logistics in general. Um, this one may be kind of, like, a silly question, but I was listening to a previous podcast you did, and you mentioned that you had, like, a finger injury at one point. And it just kind of made me wonder, like, do speed climbers get injuries? Like, did you get it from speed climbing? Or, like, of course, with, like, bouldering or lead, people get, like, finger injuries or sprains from falling. But there's no, like, surprises on the wall with speed. So just kind of wondering if that happens. Yeah. So for speed, I think um, since you're pulling on jugs, but pulling on jugs fast, you can be prone to a sort of a different set of injuries. Um so I think that specific injury I got when I was pretty young, I think I was like 15, um, of just pulling on of too much volume on a certain finger. I think it was like my left index finger and it just ended up, I think getting tendonitis or something like that. And I just rehabbed it like normal, took some time off, did some loading on it and it was no huge deal. But I think, uh, as far as a broader question of injuries and speed climbing, it's definitely something that does happen. Um, it's just a different nature because bouldering, I think, is a bit more brutal on the body because you're falling and you're hitting the ground um, at that kind of rate. So it's a little bit more aspect of randomness of you can fall weird or you can. Um, it's just not good for wear and tear to be hitting the ground that many times versus speed. You're on an autobelay consistently. Um, not not you're, you're you're hitting the ground at a normal rate and you're not like falling like large distances but um sometimes like different training regimens can um be bad for you if you're lifting a ton of weight um when you shouldn't be or you're using bad form or you're um i think a lot of times people will overload their fingers like they'll try to do hangboard stuff like if you try to do hangboard stuff um on really small ledges really fast um that's really not good for your fingers um, unless you're training to be that level of ability. So um, I think that's a bit of an issue. But um, besides that, um, it's, I would say, generally a bit more healthy than Boulder or Lead for um, injuries. Yeah, I guess, like, why are people training a lot of weight on small edges for speed climbing? 
Um, I think just as a like hangboarding thing, they want to pull on tiny edges when they don't have to. Um, sometimes it's just because it's like cross training with bouldering. They want to get stronger with their fingers. Um, sometimes like a workout I'll do a lot is pulling on the campus rungs. So like you pull on the campus rungs, like at a higher, um, level of width. So they're larger, right? They're like jugs. Um, and you try to do them fast and it's really good to train for contact strength if you're trying to do it, um, like on those jugs. But if you do it on the smaller ones, you're just shock loading your fingers over and over and over again. Um, and that could potentially not be good. I'm not a doctor, but um, I, c- I could potentially just see some issues with you doing that. Um, as I know, I think some people have. So, yeah, another speed question I had. Um, this is also this is always something I've wondered about, but um, I thought so. It also stems from like this discord discussion. Um, you have this like rhythmic beep that counts you in. Um, and then someone said that you still have to react to it less than 0.1 seconds to start. Is that the case? So, yeah, that's a pretty controversial po- uh, point in speed climbing is the technical false start rule. So the idea behind it is that a human cannot react to a cue um, within only 0.1 seconds, right? They have to be longer than that. They have to be, if they were, they would be, if they were to get under 0.1, they would be anticipating it and there'll be a false start. So um, what ends up happening is um, it, it doesn't really do its job because you're anticipating it anyway. If you're running a one, two, you're, you're, you're anticipating the beep. Like I can tell you right now, I do not react to the third beep because if I did, um, I w- the reaction time would be like 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4. Because if in a controlled scientific setting, you're given a beep and you're saying, okay, press this button when you hear the beep. In theory, the max would be about 0. 0.1 if you're at like a highest percentage of a very good reaction time. But the thing about speed climbing is you're not doing, you're not just pressing a button, you're fully moving your entire body off the ground to get off the pad, which requires a ton of energy and takes longer. So you're anticipating it anyway. So I personally have a queuing system where I'll do a certain swing um, based on the beeps so that the motion allows me to move before the beeps go off, right? I'm generating momentum when the beeps aren't, when the timer isn't going, right? So that's why I, I'm a big fan of swinging at the start because it's basically cheating. Um, I mean, with no with no rule against it, it's it's like it's beta, right? It's part of the route is to get off the ground faster than the clock can start you, um, essentially, because you want to get that re- ideal reaction time because it, it it is a lot. Like shaving off, um, if you're, if the difference is 0.1 versus 0.2, that's a tenth of a second, and that's a lot of like. 0.1 seconds on reaction time versus 0.1 seconds of strength, like just getting stronger, is is a big deal. That's like several months of training at least, um, at a high level. So I, I I would say it's definitely um I would personally make some changes to the rule itself, but um that's generally the rundown of what the best athletes will do to try and get to try and circumvent it, um essentially. Yeah. So is it? Like the last beep is not always a consistent amount of time after the first two. Uh, no, it is. And so, do you know why they don't just like do like one starting sound, like say like track races or something like that? 
Um, I think it did for a they did for a while in the IFSC. If you watch like 2014 comps, I think the the year they did away with it. But what ended up happening is I was talking earlier about the margin of error of sort of like getting off the ground in 0.3 versus 0.2 or, or even like 0.6 if you're really slow, like uh, actually reacting to it. That's a very like a, that's a very large amount of skill in climbing to make up that amount of time. So it sort of is a little bit better to have the standardized beeps because um, you're maybe at a different, you're not in the same position. Your body maybe isn't cued because you can't just stay there cued for a while. You have to be like, you know, in a routine. I mean, th there's obviously a benefit to that. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily be fair to be constantly giving everyone, say, in a qualifier round, a random beep at a different time um, because potentially it could help other athletes um, do better than others. And it also just lowers times to have a standardized beep, to have faster reaction times. If you're getting off the ground at point one, it just lowers times. That's all it does. I mean, it's just really, um, IFSC obviously does benefit from having lower world records because it's interesting to the viewer. So they don't want to needlessly push that those up. Yeah, I guess they do always kind of advertise it as like, this is the fastest race in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, do you, does that mean like you need to train reaction time at all or do you just kind of have that beep going in your head? Um, I think it's, it's a matter of a set of cues. So you're like super react, like you're very used to, um, using the beeps as a cueing mechanism to get off the ground in a certain amount of time. So, um, like personally, I put some effort into it. Um, you still far start occasionally because um, you still have variance because it's just not humanly controllable to the thousandth of the second, um, unfortunately. So um, you still have some errors, um, either being too slow or way too fast. So um, it's an issue sometimes, but um, I guess it's, it's a necessary part of having a racing sport. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, so back to your personal speed climbing specifically. Um, I'm excited to ask about speed again because like before when I did my speed interviews, I had like never touched a speed wall. Um, and then I finally got a chance to like try it in Salt Lake, educated myself, tried it. And now I just have like more questions related to it. Um, I did it the first time and I got like 41 seconds, which is slow, but honestly like less time than I thought I would take because um, it felt like an eternity on a wall. Um, when it comes to making improvements in speed climbing, uh, do you remember like where you, like what time you started out at and how quickly you improved? Um, so we actually didn't have a 15 meter wall in Dallas until 2019, which is when I started. Um, I was born in 2006, so I was 13 at the time. Um, so I actually had trained on another wall, um, like, cause that, that was built in the fall and I started training in the spring. Um, that was a 10 meter wall. So there was no timer on that one. Um, so I think the first time I ever like did a day on a timer was I went down to Houston and I had run 11.63, um, on the 15 meter wall. And I was like, really, really, that, that was pretty good for the time, to be honest. Um, and then I kind of shaved it down. I like had like a joke of like, we didn't have PR, we didn't have um, a timer system. So my PR like was like 9.7 seconds on a mobile timer and then like 11 seconds on an actual timer. And then I really just wanted to lower it down um, via the actual um, like system once we got it. 
um, at the new gym in Plano installed in 2019 in the fall. So um, I, I do just remember um, really enjoying the process of wanting to lower that time in practice because I wasn't competing at the time. So just wanting to lower that time was, was really what I wanted. Was it, I'm assuming it's a lot easier to improve when you're first starting out and then you kind of just get like really tiny gains after that? Um, in terms of actual time, yes. So I think it took me um, from that to like in the first year, I was able to shave like four seconds. And then in the next year, like one and a half. Then in the next year, like another second. And then this year, like a half a second. And then from the beginning of 2023 to the end of, or to, to now in November when we're recording this, like 0.2. So um, it does get like logarithmically hard, but I would say you're definitely improving at climbing itself, like at a pretty good rate as you're training harder and more advanced like training mechanisms. Uh, just the time is uh, lower. Like the gains just show up as less because there's just, you, you, you can't be improving by that much um, every single every single day. And I guess you also consider like accuracy and um, consistency as like gains and training as well. Yeah, of course. So like being able to run your fastest run um, last year on an average Tuesday is a, is a good thing to do for sure. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And then after I had tried it out, um, I kind of just wanted to have like a good clean run. Like it's still not going to be fast or good, but just like it felt like a clean run. And I was talking to like Albert and Grace and they said that that's impossible and you'll never feel like you have a clean run. Um, but like you finally did sub five in like April and I feel like at sub five, it's hard for me to imagine that you didn't feel like you had a clean run. Um, do you ever feel like you have that or in your mind, do you still know like exactly what you should have done to like do better? Um, sometimes um i'll have runs where i'm like oh if i just improved that a little bit it would have been a little bit faster and the sub five barrier was brutal especially because i had to run so many runs that if i had just gotten off the ground a little bit faster then i would have um i would have gotten the official sub five time um like on the not, not in competition but um it was just i've done that so many times like i think i've run maybe 14 uh maybe like yeah 14 15 ish sub five is like on an actual timer now and i've run maybe 40 or 50 five o's that if i had gotten off the ground in a perfect reaction time i would have gotten a sub five um so that was for a while um the like the joke um is that it's just so hard to like it's just such a tough barrier to push past um but as far as your question about the perfect run goes um i definitely do have it sometimes um like when i'll hit a major pr um and it's like a big gap um it's just all that comes together it just all clicks i think a lot of times um and that's really just like a one and like i would say for me to run that sub five that i did in april i was trying like for, for that to be my primary goal in life um i probably put in a legitimate 250 attempts of this i'm trying 100 percent to get this run and to get off the ground fast and to do this and i got it once <laughs> so it's really like that's the I, I would believe that's a perfect run. Um, the four five the four nine five I ran in April before the Soul World Cup. Well, glad that you can feel like you have a perfect run. Um, maybe I'll feel like that one day. 
I believe. Um, and in terms of coaching in climbing, um, what kind of coaches have you had? And like, when did you start coaching with Albert? Um, so I worked with, um, I'm the coach Merritt Ernsberger since from when I was 13, uh, to about the time I was like 16 or 17, I started managing my own stuff my, more myself. Um, and he was on team Texas, uh, as an official speed coach still is. Um, and I would go to the practices and do those lesson plans. Um, I think when I started doing the more like the senior world cup tours, I more enjoyed just climbing on my own and I was more productive to be at the gym at like the daytime hours and doing my own lesson plan. Um, and I definitely learned sort of, I had more of a self-coached phase um, through the world cup season last year where I was still getting a lot of support from other people, but I wasn't necessarily taking any one input. Um, I think I started working with Albert um, in the latter half of like, I would say, around the Jakarta World Cup last year in 2022. So that was September um, where I would like analyze stuff with him and go over stuff. And then I think he started writing my plans, like the stuff I would do like early this year in like March or so, where I would like have a lesson plan. This is what I'm doing today. And then uh, USA Climbing hired a trainer, um, Matthew Madison, the um, current speed team manager and strength conditioning coach. And then he make he started making my workout plans um, just about two months ago, so that's been my coaching support status. There's a lot of other names that are in there that I haven't mentioned um, that have been incredibly supportive, but um, as far as my coaching goes, that process. Please excuse this brief intermission, but I would just like to take some time and remind you that if you are enjoying this podcast, please follow and rate it on your preferred listening platform. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe and hit the like button. Anything helps to push this podcast out to more people and get even more amazing guests on. Back to the show. Yeah, he had mentioned um, that you were in strength cycle jail. Um yeah. What happened there? How did you come out of it? So uh, I was explaining this earlier. Um, after burn, I just did a brutal, brutal strength cycle. And it was the first time um, in my life that I had done that much training that consistently. Um, I was very, very bad at skipping the gym in order to climb a lot of times because I just enjoyed climbing so much more than I enjoy lifting. Um, I did that. And I, I was just so sore. Like I was, I was lifting a lot. Like I was doing a lot of weight. And I was doing a lot of climbing and I'm like, I was still doing a full voluminous three day on one day off, um, schedule in climbing. Like I wasn't, I was doing the same schedule I would for climbing if I wasn't doing any lifts with a full, like pretty hard lifting schedule. Like I was thrown in the deep end for sure. Um, which is what I wanted because it works. But, um, I was just so like, it, it really takes a toll on everything in your life because you're so you're putting in absolutely everything to keep your lifestyle afloat. Um, because really what would happen if I hadn't, like if I was like not focusing on sleeping enough every night, I would probably just get injured. Um, like it, that's probably the outcome that would most likely happen. Or I would just not have this production I would have. So like it gets really demoralizing to be, um, like sort of running really fast times, like in, in, in March of this year and February of this year, I was running like five O's with like, you know, relative ease without all this training. And now I'm training and I'm running five, three every session because I'm just, my body is so tired. So, um, it is a necessary part to sort of get slower to get faster. Um, especially when that involves hypertrophy and gaining weight. Um, 
it's, it's a necessary part of every athlete. Really. If you're trying to train optimally, um, you don't have to show up every session with sort of the ego of, I want to do the best today. Um, like I want to PR every session. It's not a realistic goal. Um, and that especially sort of took a mental toll, toll on me because I, as I said, like I love the process of getting faster in practice. Like I love just like, that's how I get motivation, um, to climb at a high level. So that, that was especially brutal for me. Um, but I I'm doing it again now and I've made some adjustments and it's definitely working way better. So you did manage to like get out of it. Yeah. And that was the, that was the plan. So it's three weeks of training and then one week of deload and then competing at the end of that for a month. So, um, as soon as I started deloading, every session got faster than the last basically. And it was a great feeling like everything. Um, I was living in Utah at the time. Um, and I went back home to Texas and like, all, all in life was just so well. Um, and I was just really enjoying it. And like, it, it really does like, if you want to go through a process for, I mean, any sport really, um, and you really want to show like, you, you really want to work hard and then get results. That's how you do it. And it's like, almost like, um, I mean, e- even outside of competition, just going to the gym and being able to run sub five multiple times in a day, and being like, wow, this is this really did work. Um, it, it, it's a great feeling for sure. Yeah. Was there any moment in the middle of that where you kind of thought like, oh, maybe I've just lost it? Every single day. Oh, wow. <laughs> Every Terrifying. single time. Um, it'll definitely get easier and easier as I do it more um, as an athlete. But it because speed climbing is so new and Albert's a great coach, but um, he's he's never had an experience of coaching a high level athlete like this much of having that high of an intensity. And sometimes it's just like, am I doing the wrong thing um, to train? And which um, I made some adjustments and I did lower the volume eventually. Um, I just changed um, the, so instead of doing three days on one day off, I would do two days on one day off because um, it's just sort of a math equation. If you think about it, where if you have three days and one day off, that's 75% of the time you're climbing, 1% of the, or 25% you're resting, right? If you do two days and one day off, it's 66% of the time. And one day is 33%, right? So all you have to do to make the easier sort of less volume work is be 9% more productive. So I was like, I looked at that and I was like, I can definitely do that. If I'm, because the third day on would just be pulling on the wall and screaming at my skin hurts. (laughs) So I, I eventually realized this isn't working really that well. And it would, but I mean, even just figuring that out instead of let, letting go of the ego of knowing I am not an athlete who can train that much. Like you want to work hard and you want to put in the volume and it, it really does take a toll on your ego. Um, as someone who's done that, like I've, I did that the entire time of the past two years of, I would do three days on one day off. Right. So it really does take a toll and to say, it's more optimal to not do, uh, to, to do less, right? Um, you're overtraining, essentially. So um, it did work out, it does take some um, time. And I think um, I'll hopefully if someone if someone reaches out to me and is like, how do I do this at the, at the highest level, I would be like, don't make the mistakes I made. Um, so it, it's it's a full it's a full learning experience for sure. Well, glad you're out of it. Um, and Thank you for the insight on speed climbing. I think that was everything I had about speed climbing so far. Uh, we might get back into it a little bit in the um, Discord questions later. But um, for now, I just want to go into 
climbing, but like non-speed climbing for a bit. Um, I think people are always kind of curious what speed climbers do outside of speed. Um, so do you ever do like competitions for bouldering or lead? Um, I, I love rock climbing. Um, it's, I will always be a lifetime climber. Um, even I don't, I'm not going to competitively speed climb for the rest of my life, but I think I, I will always be a climber for sure. Um, so I, I never really, um, enjoyed the process of getting better, um, and training lead climbing. Um, I just didn't like it. Like I didn't like going to the gym and doing doubles on like plastic roots. Um, so I was never the most invested in, um, competitive lead climbing. Um, I, I did enjoy the process of competitive bouldering. Um, I like doing hard moves on indoor routes. Um, and I like doing like big dynamic stuff. Um, and I love the style of competition route setting and how it pushes athletes. So, um, that's, I, I, I do it occasionally. Um, I have, I haven't, I've strayed away from doing bouldering comps just because it's kind of dangerous. Um, as far as getting injured goes, um, to the point where it's just not worth it. Um, for me personally, like I do genuinely love doing it. But I remember I had a session where I was like on a spray wall and I was just trying really hard and I was really enjoying myself. And one of my coaches kind of pulled me aside, like the one of the team texts is like lead boulder coaches and was like, you can't be doing this. Like I was just like, I well, I mean, not in that way, really, but it was just like you can't be going on these routes and trying your absolute hardest and campusing it and then dry firing off and then hitting the mat at like high speeds. Right. You just need to be more careful. And for me. I'm a type of person who wants to invest fully in something if I'm going to invest in it. So I was like, okay, um, I still do it occasionally um, in a more chill sense. Um, I love bringing my non-climber friends to the gym and bouldering with them. And it's, it's always kind of a shock to them um, because it's like, wow, you're the, the difference between like me and a new climber as a, even just as a boulderer, who's someone who doesn't do it that much is, is just astonishing. <laughs> um but it's always fun to get people into climbing. Um, I want to be the best ambassador I can. So, uh, yeah, that's mostly answers that question for me. Yeah. Um, so you don't even in the future, you don't think um, you'll do like any bouldering competitions or anything like that. Um, I don't want to close the door forever, but I don't have any immediate plans to pursue all three disciplines at any point, really, in the near future. Um, maybe as a collegiate athlete or a master's athlete, um, or at a more recreational level, but I don't ever plan on entering the bouldering world cup or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when was the last time you did, uh, another kind of competition? Cause like you, I guess in team Texas, you still did like some bouldering elite stuff. Um, I think last year I actually won a qualifying event, um, that we did. And it was actually kind of an upset because everyone was like, I, I am not a better boulderer than at least like 10 people at that event. <laughs> so um, I guess the setting just kind of fit around my style of just big jumping moves. And um, I think that like a, a lot of the stuff I could do and I was just like being really scrappy and fighting for the zones and stuff. So it worked out really well. And that's like still a um, like sort of like a joker in my friend group that I won a World Cup before I won a qualifying event. <laughs> um. So I, I, I do really enjoy it, but it's just kind of, there's there's many reasons that I kind of have to take a cautious approach to doing things like that. Yeah, understandable. Um, yeah, we just, we don't really see much in terms of your social media, in terms of like you bouldering. So I think it's just something people are curious yeah. about. Maybe I should just upload more boulders onto Instagram. You I should. always I always felt um, 
a little weird doing that of like saying like unless it's just like a massive dino or something like if you want to watch someone who's really good at bouldering don't watch me (laughs) but i mean maybe it would be entertaining um but like there's there's a lot of other boulders in this world that you would rather watch um do a boulder but yeah maybe some at some point yeah to me it's not like i'm watching bouldering videos to see like the best person do it like i mean especially because that's like not even relatable to me Uh, um i just i just have like that curiosity to see like I guess like the cross discipline kind of thing, because um, it's interesting yeah. to see like um, it was really interesting to see like Boulder lead climbers do speed in like the 2021 Olympics, and it's also really interesting to see speed climbers not speed climbing. So it kind of helps put into perspective the difficulty of one discipline and like the mastery of another. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, I think it's. I think you should do it. All right. Well. That's some social media advice. I'm I'm still trying to work on that. Um, of figuring out what to post and things like that because I, I I do want to put in um, more work into my social medias and stuff, but I just can't bring myself to post like a, the same route every time for speed climbing. Um, because I do it every day, right? Or I do it, you know, a lot of like five days of the week. But it's like, do you really want to watch me run like five? Oh, like you you watch me run four nine? Like, do you want to? Would you rather watch me like have an average run in training? um it's kind of the question but i don't know um i've definitely explored it yeah that's so, kind of the difficulty with like being a speed climbing athlete because it's the same thing and people mm-hmm. don't really want to watch i, I did try thing. on social media i tried to make like a voiceover um like video of i got some footage from my friend dylan countryman he, and he gave me some footage and i made like a sort of information video on context strength and i was like okay i'm gonna make this series i'll call it snip snippets and I'll, I'll make one like every week and i did it and i was like okay it'll take me five minutes all right it'll take me 20 minutes it'll take me an hour it'll take me two hours and i spent like so long trying to perfect this video and it's gotten like a hundredth of the views that a video of me just like speak climbing would get i'm sure. just like is this is this really worth it because like or do i just want to funnel more effort into being the best athlete i can because I remember I put in so much work into that video. Like I spent, I spent probably like a whole day, um, like writing a script, compiling the videos, figuring out what I'm going to say. Um, I like texted a coach and was like, am I, what is what I'm saying about this context strength thing? Like valid. Am I going to, am I giving out good information, right. To people about this. And so it was a lot of effort into content creation. Um, and then I ran the first sub five, um, next week. And it got like so many more views and it was just like a huge thing. I'm like, well, should I just try to be a better athlete and more things like that will happen? Or should I focus on content creation? Um, so I'll figure that out one, uh, f- figure that one out eventually. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's listening and wants to see certain things, maybe suggest it. That, that's always helpful. Um, but yeah, maybe don't put like, you don't have to put like too much effort into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because that's like that becomes kind of a time sink, and then people just like watching like good old classic Boulder. I'll get some ideas going. Yeah, exactly, and people will let you know if they have any. Um, so yeah, and then also in terms of I guess just like your personal life, I think you mentioned earlier that you might want to do like collegiate competitions, or that's like something that's a possibility for you. Um. I guess, first of all, like you are quite young. Um, you are still in school, I think. 
So how was it doing like school in addition to competition? So um, I think so during COVID, I was in online school through the my freshman year of high school, which was um, 2020 to 2021. Um, and I did I did enjoy it. It was a bit boring. Um, and then I was in in-person school the next year, uh, my sophomore year, and I really did enjoy it. I'm still very close with a lot of the friends I made that year. Um, but I was just like, I, I can't be doing this because it goes back to the thing of I want to be putting 100% of my effort into my lifestyle and I can't be getting up at eight in the morning and going to school and not being able to have access to like meal timing and doing sessions when I want. And it's just an, like another level of percentages of like, um, is it going to be 10% worse for me to be in actual school, right? So um, it's kind of a sacrifice I had to make. I was like, okay, I'll just do online schooling. Um, so I'll probably graduate around March or April, um, ideally before the World Cup season starts, um, my senior year, my high school. Um, and I um, am applying to colleges. Um, I probably will go to the University of Utah if I get accepted in Salt Lake City and live there because um, it's climbing is great there. And uh, there's a lot of, there's a very good Olympic culture around there. I think they have like 54 Olympians that have gone there in the history of the school. Um, so I, I would feel kind of at home there. So um, I think if I can develop a kind of a community of friends who want to do like bouldering and things like that um, with them and competing at a collegiate level, um, I could definitely see myself being in that path. But um, it's definitely sort of an open door. And my number one focus is obviously the Paris games and being the best becomer I can be as of now. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are you interested in studying if you end up going? Um, so I want to study business. Um, I love the idea of um, like logistics and just sort of to know how the world works. So specifically at that school, I would study operations and supply chain management, which is sort of two degrees into one. and um, sort of the shipping routes of getting things places um, is a really unique interest I have um, sort of uncommon, but um, I get to work sort of in the global field. Um, and I always love the idea of doing international business. Um, so if I wanted to have a career outside of climbing, that would probably be my choice as of now. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I don't hear that many climbers going into business school. So pretty cool. Um, and then outside of climbing and school, all things that are a lot of like hard work, um, I guess like what are you, do you have time for other interests or hobbies? I think I, I've seen like chess stuff, but. Um, I, yeah, I love chess. It's awesome. Um, I love, I, it's, I like it in the same way. I like speed climbing. I am not nearly as good, <laughs> um, but uh, play it as a hobby, play my friends um play it online um it's it's really fun i like studying lines um it's it it's just a whole process i like doing then um i like learning languages um i think i have a like very good memory so i can learn words really fast so um i think it's something that's been really useful traveling on the world cup circuit is just to be able to have an extra level of communication with other people so um that's been sort of an advent. Um, but um, my social life is very important to me. Uh, my friends, uh, like relationships in my life are very important. Um, like keeping everything there. Um, I definitely draw a lot of happiness and a lot of balance um, 
from trying to climb at a high level from having healthy social relationships. Um, and yeah, that that's a very scientific way to describe I'm mostly a normal person outside of climbing. But um, yeah, that's what I would say. Giving all these reasons for how normal you are outside of climbing. Um, is there anything that you wish you had time for that you don't because of climbing? I would love to have like a business. Like I would like to have like pursuit like an entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, I, I like that, like the whole um, deal of doing that and having something like a, trying to fill a hole and figuring out the logistics around that. But I wouldn't want to do that if I could, unless I could commit myself to that. And I definitely couldn't as of now. Um, but maybe later in my life, I would want to like sort of either have a product or a service that would um, be something that I could personally want to financially gain from or um, sort of a stakeholder, like I want to help the world in a way. Um, so things like that, I would I would definitely want to do or be a part of an organization or, you know, service. Um, it's just things I kind of like can't do at a really meaningful level because I am so busy. Absolutely. I mean... Being an entrepreneur is like 24-7, or at least all the uh, entrepreneur online people make it seem like that. Yeah, um, that was like a thing, like it's a major thing. And if you're a person like that and you're trying to pursue something, it really like the more effort you put in, the better you do. And it becomes a sacrifice of everyone wa Everyone wants to be financially well off um, if you're the 10% of people who actually succeed, probably higher than that. But um then you also you're giving up 80 hour weeks, right? And I, I don't want to do that. I, and I don't want to put myself towards something that I'm not going to fully put myself something and it would take away from climbing. And if, if I had a whole nother life where I could um, sort of pursue a different path, that might be it. I mean, it's good you're at least thinking of it um, ahead of time, you have some time to go. But um, yeah, I think like a lot of people, climbers, especially struggle with like getting financial things in order just because it's pretty expensive traveling around is really expensive and there's just not as much money coming into climbing yet but hopefully one day yeah um i'm lucky enough to have wonderful parents as my sort of angel sponsor um and a wonderful federation and a wonderful olympic committee that gives me a lot of support that i wouldn't be able to really do it without of obviously so my parents not only like financially are contributing to like I'm 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 a dependent I'm seventeen, um, like of housing and you know normal normal child things which are obviously great to have, um, like I don't have to work a job or you know support people around me, um, but also coming to my events and taking time off their works and their lives to be supportive of me and all these different places like, um, it's it's definitely a major um. Thing. And my dad is also um, into the international business world for 20, 25 years. And that's been a tremendous help um, being a more accustomed traveler and really know what, know, knowing what I'm doing and not making a lot of the rookie mistakes um, a lot of athletes do when they enter the World Cup circuit. Yeah, definitely. And behind every athlete, there's a whole lot of support. So <laughs> good to keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, I think those are all the questions I had. So we can also just move really quickly into some of the Discord questions. Um, so first one, um, does Speed Relay have a future? Absolutely. Um, I hopefully, I don't know how the qualification process will work, but I think the, 
um world games 2025 will be in um either chengdu or chongqing in china um and speed Relay will be a part of that and i i love that idea of expanding on the form of speed climbing um it has a couple flaws that need to be sort of addressed is that um one of them being it's a little bit dangerous because you can only have two autobelays in one top rope and that is not safe um so maybe expanding the type of six lane wall um, and figuring out the mixed format of you want three men or two men and a woman or a woman and then two or two women and a man. So figuring out that or figuring out, do you want to do country like nationally based or do you want to do teams? So you have two Indonesian teams or you have a mixed, um, like I could compete with um, a great British athlete or a Spanish athlete, right? Um, so there's a lot of open potential um, as far as the speed relay goes. And I'm excited to be a part of that potentially if it would get a bid for its own Olympic medal, if that wanted to expand. Because um, I think things like that can make more decorated Olympians because um, it's part of Asian games as well. Like it's good to sort of like, I personally will never be able to reach the level of another athlete like Michael Phelps, because there's so many disciplines that one person can compete in. And for climbing, it'll maybe be, um, I mean, in theory, you could be competing in Boulder leading speed. We probably won't see any athletes um, that actually will qualify doing that. Um, maybe like an Oceania or, african doing that with a continental quota but no one's for sure going to win a medal in in both boulder lead and speed um so maybe boulder lead will be split and then you have speed speed relay um that you might have athletes um probably not even in my generation but years down the line will be able to accumulate medals and be decorated olympians which will help the sport as well yeah that would be really cool have you tried speed relay yourself no uh there's unfortunately probably not a setup in the entire united states that could support it um, we do have technically a four-lane wall in Texas, but we don't have enough holds and we don't have another timing system. So it is, if you want to choose an insanely expensive sport to do something with, you have a speed relay. Okay, well, I hope you get to try it one day. Maybe if you get a chance to go to China. Yeah. Um, next question, who are your heroes and inspirations? I think I actually saw on the IFSC page for you, um, you have some things listed. I guess, actually, uh, this is kind of a tangent, but like, where did you submit this information that shows up on IFSC? Because like some people have hobbies and stuff listed and oh, some people don't. It's actually very, um, it's very obscure and very hard to get to. So what you have to do is you have to go to the, uh, if you're an athlete, you, you hold a athlete registration card, um, go to the IFSC results info, then click on the top little profile and you can make a login. And then from there, it shows you, um, there's a little profile. That it's, it's like another hidden little profile section where you can enter like your hobbies, your, I think, I think it's sporting hero. I said Manu Ginobili, um, like your hobby. Yeah. Your hobbies. And then like, also there's another box that you can tell the commentators that they'll see, um, like what to say on the broadcast. So, um, like I think Grace, they're talking about, like, I can put my pronouns here and say, so they, they, they say they, them on the broadcast, which is a good thing. Um, I think that's an option. Then uh, just other things about yourself, like your height and your weight. Um, something is, I'm not sure if I could actually enter my height and my weight. Um, I, I don't know. Some stuff is restricted like to your federation. Like I have a horrible picture in there. Um, like my arm is bleeding in my IFSC profile. Um, so I couldn't change that or I couldn't add a banner. But um, Oh, you're right. I that. see it. That's funny. <laughs> So yeah, it's very hidden. Uh, hopefully um, that's a pretty easy fix for them to roll out like a better website and a better way for athletes to give it. Cause it, it does add a level to commentary to, um, to, to know that about them. So um, 
yeah, if you're an IFSC athlete, that's what you do. Okay. Yeah, I'll let them know. Um, but yeah, so your hero, I guess, what, um, why did you choose Manu? I don't really know this person, so I need some context. So he is a our Argentinian basketball player. Um, I am a big basketball fan. Um, I love the San Antonio Spurs. Um, parents are from San Antonio. And like, it's a major part of like my entire life growing up is this team. Like we're like super fans. So um, Manu was a very like foreign, uh, like at the time, uh, I think he was drafted in the early 2000s. Um, foreign players didn't really play in the NBA. So he was drafted with like the 50th draft pick. And he um, was playing in Italy at the time. And he played in Italy and then for like two years and then he finally joined the nba and then he had a very unique case of um he was an incredible player but he came off the bench in the system and that helped the spurs win four championships i think with him um as like hit the sixth man of the year like the unit um so that was a very unique thing um he's also just a great person um very like philanthropic um outside of basketball and I think also his um, coolest feat was in 2004, the Argentine team completely upset the U.S. team and won the Olympics in Athens. So um, that was like a major moment that kind of etched his name in like the kind of the first ballot Hall of Fame um, kind of thing. So I thought that was really cool. Um, when I was first getting into basketball, um, the Spurs were playing the Rockets, which is kind of the rival team um, in Houston, San Antonio versus Houston. And he, like, at, like, 38 years old, got a crazy, like, game-winning block on another one of the Houston Rocket Star players. Um, and I remember that's, like, one of my fondest sports memories. So that's why I put that. Um, there's definitely a lot of other people I could have put as that, but, um, yeah. Any, like, climbing heroes? Climbing heroes, for sure. Um, both Miroslav and Yanya just very good competitive climbers at like a very consistent, like high level um, is really inspiring and something that I want to do um, and l l look after. Um, and even just my peers, like even looking at, I mean, they're the same age as me, but like Serato and Toby, um, they're great. Um, I've gotten to know both of them kind of a little bit through a language barrier for Serato, but it's been, it's been a fun time, like being inspired by the people that have like going to the youth worlds events with them and, you know, meeting them for the first time and sort of experiencing the whole circuit with people your age is a very nice feeling. Um, especially this year. Cause I wasn't really on the circuit with them last year. This was kind of both of their first years. So um, that matters a lot to me to have friends and peers that, you know, can kind of up uplift you. Yeah. Great options. Um, next question. If you could do anything to a speed route or format, do you have any weird ideas you would like to try out? Hmm. So I think um, if you really want to try and potentially expand the discipline, I would maybe like either do wanting to compete in like the Rockmaster event, they did do an Arco where it's a speed lead climbing route, um, or like the Seeker Block event, Tuckfest event, where you have a deep water solo event. Um, I actually did get invited to Tuckfest, but I don't think I can go because it's during a World Cup. But um, potentially pursuing that because I think it's a little bit more palatable and understandable to the average climber. Cause it's just, um, and there's more crossover, like a really good boulder or a really good lead climber or a really good speed climber could succeed in that event. And so that's, that, that's a cool concept to me. That's a cool bridging concept to watch, um, 
athletes not on just a like a, a standardized route where they're practicing every time, but a, watching them adapt and watching them choose to um, do a different thing every time. Um, it is definitely cool to watch. Um, or just a speed, like a classic event that's not on a standard wall, just a new route wall every time. And you have a quality semis and finals round where it's like it, you, you watch everyone get faster and invent new beta as the comp goes on. Um, that's potentially a new idea. Um, so I think there's a good amount of expansion of speed climbing because it's still so young. Um, that could happen maybe not in my career, but down the line. Hey, I hope to see them. Um, for training, um, do you do anything unique or unusual? I mean, no, just at a very high intensity. Um, like what I said earlier about tracking not just my calories, but my amino acid intakes. Like if you told me that I was going to be doing that a couple years ago, I would be like, that's crazy. Like the, the, like the amount of things and you have to slowly do it. If you like, if you're a young athlete and you want to say, I want to be an Olympian one day, you can't jump into the deep end like that because you will burn out so fast. But if you slowly like sort of, um, stick your toes in and be able to be, um, and to, to enjoy the process of every single time, uh, like harder and harder. Um, it's definitely just, yeah, just like volume. Like I just train a lot, um, and like really hard and pretty intense every, like on a day-to-day basis. Like I think is this something I get a lot where it's just like, people are just like, Oh, another day at the office, I'm going to try and run whatever. Like I'm going to push myself every time. And when that's sustainable, that's amazing. But, um, obviously you got to manage it and balance it with other things in your life. Makes sense. And last little question, how do you handle shoe selection? Is there an optimal point of being broken in, but not too much that you like for competitions? Um, so it seems like actually there's sort of a little tiny bit of a little bit of a space race going on between some of the climbing shoe companies for designing a speed shoe. Um, I don't want to go that in depth because I don't know how much of a, uh, like trade secret it is, but, um, there, as far as just a regular shoe um, goes, as far as breaking it in, um, I think it's virtually negligible unless there's a massive hole in it and it's hurting um, because you're using mostly the bottom of the rubber. But um, I think as the technology advances, you'll get some thinner margins of error as far as when you want to use the shoe um, and optimizing the durability for speed specifically will be a future um, task for companies. What makes like a good speed shoe? Um again uh some sort of ideas being floated around that's um very very young things i personally this is kind of public information i do not like the sportiva 499 i think it is far from optimal um just the stickiness of the rubber at the bottom to be able to smear because you do smear a lot and the durability of the bottom of the shoe is also an issue because if you wear that rubber out too much and you like start slipping because of that because the rubber is worn down that becomes an issue um but as far as just fundamental things you don't want a super aggressive shoe that's because bouldering shoes a lot of times will be designed to concentrate all the force onto one tiny little point to step on tiny little holds and you're not doing that in speed climbing so like um some of the shoes will be pushing down onto like um like that point and you don't want that you don't want the little tiny little toe and also the uh little bit of 
I forget there's there's an actual shoe term, but when the shoe bends back to like be able to do heel hooks, um, uh, that I I I'm it's on the tip of my tongue, but um, that uh is not the best for speed. You typically want a flatter shoe, is what I'm saying, really. And then you don't need rubber on the heel, um, because you're not heel hooking. Yeah, and also like soft. Um, sometimes you want a softer shoe at the top. Um, it's more like a sock kind of design. I've heard varying opinions about you want a harder design that presses your toe into it more so it doesn't move around, um, which I find are, are an issue with some of the shoe designs. But uh, it's it's still so new that I, I want to try different things before I definitively say something is better than something else. So I'm not going to give a solid opinion on that debate, but um, I'm, I'm very excited for the technology to kind of scale up with um the event as well does anyone wear uh socks with their speed shoes uh yeah a lot of uh, the indonesian athletes do um i think it's weird but um like i think i was actually asked that question and it was cut out i did an interview with uh matt groom for ifsc i said a lot of controversial answers i'm surprised they actually didn't scrap the interview but um that was one of those like uh they were like socks or no socks and i'm like absolutely not like that is just that is weird um like I, I i have tried it like i was like okay maybe they're on something and it's just such a weird feeling like it's like cushiony on your foot um i could maybe see the idea of like grip socks like at the at the bottom of your shoe that's like sticking to the toe but at that point just like i i am i am i am against socks like i i it's such a gross feeling for me and i'm just like no no socks for me um what's this uh ifsc interview i'd love to see the controversial opinions um it was just so okay i was it, it wasn't controversial necessarily but um i just said something that was like kind of um i was really out of breath um because they got me right after the wall so they asked me <laughs> um like so they asked me they've done a, it was the uh ones to watch interview it's on youtube and the ifsc channel you could see my actual answers um but they ended up trying to get like 15 minutes of content and they got like five because they asked me like name as many time, any, many types of climbing holds as possible. I was like the speed handhold and the speed foot. And I was just like, I cannot name climbing holds right now. I'm so exhausted. And, um, and he was like, do you prefer indoor climbing or outdoor climbing? And I pointed at the wall. I'm like, does this count as outdoor climbing? And I was just like, you know, I would definitely not want to like, uh, announce this to a public audience on the ifsc because i don't think it makes becoming look the best like i'm just saying that kind of as a joke but um it, it doesn't make them look the best and then i think also uh they like talked about um ooh, they asked me who's my best friend on the ifsc circuit um and i like blanked on that one i was like oh i don't want to i don't want to say an answer to that because there's a lot of people that i would consider that and there's a lot of people that i wouldn't want to say someone else for so um but the interview they did great they did great at taking what they could from that so good job um the crew over there yeah i'll try to uh find it and link it below for anyone who wants to watch cool well that's all the questions i had thank you so much for joining me um, anything you want to shout out or let people know where they can find you? Um, find me on Instagram, Samuel Watson underscore underscore. Um, going to be working in my content now, apparently. Um, going to be, you know, try, try to list out some ideas and figure out some different things to post, um, focusing on that more. And um, just 
if you can, if you got this far, just check out some speed comps. They're cool. Um, if you enjoy it, um, follow some of the other athletes. Um, got some interesting stories to tell for sure. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Exciting. And thank you again. It was amazing to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for making it to the end of the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, I would love to hear your discussion and thoughts in the comments below. And don't forget to like and subscribe if you enjoyed. If you're listening through a podcasting platform, I'd appreciate if you rate it five stars and you can continue the discussion through my competition climbing discord um, linked in all of the descriptions through all the platforms. Thanks again for listening.